So welcome to the Do More Good podcast, season three. All good things come in threes, don't they, Kenny? Of course they do. Three musketeers, little pigs, triangles, your degree. <laughs> we should probably know what we're doing by now, right? You'd think so. There are times you have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work because it pays off in the end. Making sure that the senior people from that organisation get involved with the partnership. It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock up. Do I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes. <laughs> I think the, the message is do more good. Yay! Here we are, James, our first episode from the IOF Scotland Conference. How are you doing? A bit of a sore head, Kenneth. Oh, no. Yeah, you took me out for drinks once we arrived at 11 last night and then we went out for drinks. So, suffering a little bit with that, but looking forward to getting going this morning. The Howling... Howling Wolf. The Howling Wolf. Yeah. That was where the uh, receptionist sent us last night. That's right. <laughs> she was just trying to get rid of us. <laughs> Basically. But yeah, just having breakfast, or just had breakfast, looking forward to the day ahead. We've got a busy schedule. Yeah, yeah, we've got about an hour, and then the, the opening plenary starts, and it's all systems go. So yeah, looking forward great. to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We were looking up on the train last night of just to see, contacting some of the people who we hadn't heard back from, and, and picking out some of the sessions. No, I'm fine, thank you. So yeah, it should be a good day. Yeah, all good. Let's all get good. to it. Right, see you in a bit. We're in here, James. We just came into the conference. We've got special badges and we've got a gold star on mine, which means um, apparently a newbie. Yeah, so we get to bully the new kids. It's nice and clear who the, who the new ones are. And we've managed to pick Millie Coulter out here. We spotted her on Twitter before we got into the room. Welcome, Millie, to Do More Good Podcast. We just wanted to ask you what you're looking forward to about the next couple of days. Um, well, this is the first time that I'm speaking um, at a conference, so I'm looking forward to that. But I'm also looking forward to meeting lots of fundraisers and hearing some really good sessions as well. Um, it's always a really good opportunity to kind of get out of the office and learn some new stuff. Yeah, and this isn't your first time at Scotland. You've been here before, right? I have. A little while ago now, a couple of years. No, maybe more than that. Three years or so. I grew up in Glasgow, so I'm, my mum's just down the road, so it makes it an easy one to come to. <laughs> oh, right. Well, we'll be popping around there on uh, for Sunday lunch later on. Great. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Millie, have a great time. Thank you for talking to us. And uh, yeah, we'll maybe see your session on, when is it? Wednesday at four o'clock. Four o'clock. I'm sorry, just remind us of the topic. It's about homeworking. <laughs> All right. So we bumped into Jonathan from Alzheimer's Scotland. What are you looking forward to over the next couple of days? Uh, one of the main things I'm looking forward to is just seeing everyone from all the different charities that's represented here in Scotland. Uh, there's such a great mix of people with different roles within the charities, but again, a huge mix of charities within the sector as well. And it's fantastic to hear all of the accomplishments um, from all the charities, so everyone share their successes. But again, often you know, in the charity sector, you can feel that whether you feel like you're struggling a bit in your role or things aren't going the way that you're planning, it's good to hear that other people are always in the same situation as well. And everyone kind of sharing their ideas to come together and not being afraid of sharing their ideas to hopefully make sure that not only their charity success but the whole sector as a whole is a success as well. 
It sounds like the office is taking a bit of a holiday because most people here are from outside of Scotland. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if a supporter gets in touch today, I'm not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> um, but, but if they get in touch next week, it'll be great because we'll have learned so much at this conference. Wow, um, but yeah, no, the majority of the team here, which is good, and that actually means that we can split up, we can go to different sessions, mm. and then we can all meet back up afterwards and kind of share the learnings that we've had. Guys, have a great conference. Thank, thank, you, you, so thank you Thank you for your time. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Bye. So I'm here with Nikki and Murray after their packed session at the beginning of uh, day one. Uh, you've got to be happy with a packed room like that. Yes, yes. Yeah, I know. They're, we were up against some quite stiff competition. Yeah. Paul Cooney, the CEO of Kilt Walk, was speaking at one session. So Nobody in this room. No, they're all in here. <laughs> Unbelievable scenes. I don't believe that. Yeah, yeah. But it was a great session. It was really good. All about uh, community fundraising. And I thought maybe we could just run through some of the headlines for our listeners. So... You were both really passionate about this up on stage, but why do you love community fundraising? I love community fundraising because it allows me to use my creative and people skills to inspire other people to do amazing things. And through that, I get to work with just amazing people who have amazing stories. And we kind of both inspire each other to want to change the world and make it a better place and it just makes work just so much more enjoyable and of course it raises money for charity yeah let's not ignore that yeah what you want yeah and murray you were talking about how it leads on to other things as well they're your legacy prospects and yeah community fundraising i think you develop the relationships with people and you get you see that passion and energy and desire for change and if you build a relationship with them the chances are that they'll stay with you for a long time Yeah. yeah well you're talking about getting to people getting to know you and getting the best out of you yeah, I think unless someone gets to know me properly, they'll not, they'll not get the best out of me. And I think you've got to flip that to your supporters. You know, speak to your most vocal and your, your high-performing supporters and get to know them. You know, why have they raised so much money? How have they done it? Who do they know that's helped them? And and that's how you get you build networks and you build relationships. So yeah, definitely. Okay. And talking of building, you were inspiring people in the room to start their community fundraising programs. Where could be, if people were either doing that or looking at evaluating their current programs, where should people start with that? So to start with community fundraising, thinking about who's actually going to be leading on this program, what resource do you already have? And then from that, obviously, you can find out what you need to develop. Looking at the relationships that you've got going already. So a lot of our organizations will have people doing stuff for them just reactive maybe you know cracking out into the community speaking to supporters i guess that's one of the main thing and, and find out what they want to do and how they want to get yeah, involved I, th- in. I think it's, it's an interesting question it'll vary from charity to charity but i think it's always a good exercise just to take some block some time and review who your best supporters are and and think about you know when can i meet them you yeah. know for a chat and and get beyond the the emails get beyond phone calls or, or mailings you know just go and and take some time, take them out to lunch or coffee. And Yeah. You were also talking about meeting competitors as well. 
Yeah, so the charity I'm a trustee for, they're developing their community program, which will have corporates and, and major donors and things like that in. And I just rang another organization who works with creative people in the Northeast. And I just genuinely wasn't expecting a great of response as I did. And I just said, look, I'm honest. This is what I'm looking for. And she just put me through to the new CEO who was like, yeah, this is what we're doing. And it's, I think in the sector, sometimes we're so afraid of picking up the phone to have conversations with people, which doesn't bode well for community because that's what you need to actually do. Mm-hmm. And we do just want to help each other and see each other succeed. So I would massively recommend it or like take them out for a brew, like Murray said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think... You were after a pint, as I recall. It was more of a pint yeah. than a, yeah, than a brew. Really but yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind. What is it, quarter past ten? Yeah, we could, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're in Scotland. Um, but yeah, I think it's so important to, to speak to your supporters, but also other charities and learn from them. You know, so you can look at the, the biggest charities like CRUK, British Heart Foundation. Or, you know, what I like to do is, is look at the BBC stuff like Comic Relief Children. And they, they really have it down to a T. Here's the problem. Here's what we've been doing recently with, with your help here's what we want to do next and here's how you can get in, involved they really break it down brilliantly and there's always that strong emotional pull to it so that I mean I remember a few years ago we had, we unfortunately had to get a new roof in our house because it was leaking during the, the, the year where there was really bad storms so we were totally skint and we were watching was it Comic Leaf that was on in February and you know John Bishop was saying you know it's £32 to fund blah 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 I said, Lynn, have we got £32 in our account? But we, we made that donation because we were so attached yeah. to the the story, you know, and the difference uh, uh, the £32 could make, you know, and I think... And, you, and you still don't have a roof? We've thankfully <laughs> got a roof over our heads oh, good. again. Yeah. Good. A dry one as yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> we're talking about things that you don't necessarily want to do. You um, you used my favourite phrase, what's that called? Uh, eat the frog. We, I don't know anyone that eats frogs, uh, but we talk about... The French... So yeah. maybe the yeah the French. Is it maybe it's come I from over the channel? I don't say it, but it was just from Rob Woods's event, and, and that was kind of about moving people along the pipeline, yes. doing yeah. something that you were comfortable with, but doing it first thing in the morning and getting it done. Yeah, yeah. tick it off your to-do list. So yeah, the, it was a woman who was referenced, and I don't know who it is. So if any of your listeners do, please tweet me and tell me who, because I think it's amazing. And every morning she would make three actions to move a potential support us through her pipeline so if she was you know researching them then she would get in touch and and move them on to that next stage if she developed that relationship with them and it was right for her ask she would get in touch and and book in for that meeting where she was going to make the ask and again you know i can't remember what the outcomes were but i know she was the top performing fundraiser at her organization and that was the reason that was put down for it so i think that's such a simple tip and if you can do three positive things a day you know Take a long lunch, finish early, because yeah. you've you've you know you will have have made an impact. And fundraising isn't a nine to five job. Is that you saying we can all just leave early? Yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah works on a nine to one day. Yeah, you're done now. You're yeah. so yeah. I'm such a good manager. <laughs> yeah, you're done for the day. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, okay. Kind of kidding, but kind of not. Like, cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Edit that. The teams have all gone. They've all gone home now. So, what makes a good community fundraiser? For me, you've got to be a people person. I think you've got to be able to match the passion and energy that a lot of community supporters have, as well as people giving to the charity. They are, you know, they're invested in you. 
Yeah. Yeah, interpersonal skills are a huge one. Having that passion and energy is important and that drive to get out from behind your desk to meet people. But you need to know how to have conversations with people. So we mm. don't get a lot of times community fundraisers to build strong relationships, but strong relationships are crucial to it being successful. And the ability to say no. It sounds like a, a, a big ask for, yeah. uh, for what a, a community fundraiser is, but these people are out there. So someone that knows how to say no as well and can turn that into opportunities and can be strategic with where they spend their time with, with people that will actually do great things. I've, I've been sat in a meeting before and I've been there for three hours and they've handed over a check for 50 quid. Like, it happens. Yeah. And you're sitting there and you're like, oh, no. And you talked a little bit about um, how community fundraiser, firefighting, juggling, plate spinning. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, there yeah probably every fundraiser could say that, not just True. community fundraisers. True. But, but yeah, I think community fundraising varies from charity to charity. And certainly, you know, Nikki and I met when we were at the British Heart Foundation and it was there was traditional grassroots community, but there was also a real push on developing corporate relationships as well. So you're having to manage your little old lady who's got £20 from a coffee morning and £100,000 partnerships. And that is difficult. You know, what do you prioritise? Mm. Obviously, financially, you know what you should. But you've got to meet everyone's expectations. It's maybe not quite as clear-cut as others, you know. So corporate, it's like you go and form these corporate relationships. Communities, I think it's so varied, but that, that's why I enjoy it so much as yeah, well. Yeah, it is great. Yeah. You um, Just to wrap, wrap it up then, you, there was a really lovely line in there about allowing people to do good with what they do well. Yes. Love that. You. Thank that was good. you. I, I debuted that in a, in a, uh, I wish I'd thought of that. And it's true. Mm. Like I think that we sometimes, and I've done this before, I've gone into a meeting with a supporter and I've been like, right, this is where I need help. So hopefully they're going to fit into it. And then they don't. And actually through having a conversation with them and find out what they do love, it goes on to so much better things. Thank you very much for your time. Thank Thanks. you for not saying no to featuring on the pod. Um, I better go and find Thank Kenneth. You. Yeah, sweet. Let's get lunch. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Right, so I'm joined here with uh, Craig McGill. I've just been to one of his fantastic sessions on Crisis Comms. Craig, would you mind just introducing yourself to our listeners? No, I, I just, my name's Craig McGill. I've been in communications and media for about 25 years. Uh, so back in the days when fax machines were a thing, I'm <laughs> feeling my age now. But yes, I started off as a journalist, worked through the ranks weekly, newspapers and, and the Daily Mirror, and then moved into communications, very much PR, pre-digital, and then started to expand into digital opportunities as blogging and social media and mobile phones came along. And along that time, obviously, I've been involved as a journalist in helping cause crises. Mm. And the PR side, I've been involved in trying to solve crises and you know, manage messaging and it's been involved with a, a couple of charities over my career in communications and one of them I was very fortunate to do was the first UK Twitter fundraiser for a charity. That was where we raised a five-figure sum for the National Trust for Scotland for their Burns Museum. Well, as, I mean, we're a podcast that focuses around kind of people doing more good and I think what was interesting for me in the session was when you spoke about some of those kind of tips, you know, that people that, that are working in charities maybe don't understand about crisis comms or comms in general yeah. would you, what would be the kind of top three things that you would say if someone maybe listening to this has had to deal with a crisis or a, a comms issue internally yeah. what would you what, would, what advice would you give I think that the more you can place comms at the heart of your organization mm. that helps and that's not to say that the 
chief PR officer or the, the head of media suddenly becomes the, the chief exec. It just means you make sure that they're aware of everything that's taking place so that they can cast an eye over it to say, you shouldn't put that out this week, there's something else happening, or don't do that initiative, there's been issues like with that in the past. It, it's just that sort of th- third eye over it just to check everything's okay. I would say that the, the best comms piece of advice is to be authentic. Mm. And that don't say one thing when your chief exec or your fundraisers are out saying and doing something else, but also be prepared where possible in that know what your big issues are, know where the potential hazards are for you and have responses in place just on the off chance that someone phones late at night or they phone at the weekend and you can't reach your chief executive or you can't reach some of the senior staff. If you've got a pre-planned statement or something that's approved and ready to go, then that saves a lot of time and mm. it buys you some goodwill with a, with a journalist as well. Mm. I think actually that's what I really took from your from your session when you, you said about having your top 10 issues as an organisation and having something prepared, ready to go. That would be really helpful if, if something was to was to occur or come up. You also talked about getting everyone involved in terms of stakeholders if you're responding to something. I think I like the example you gave about, was it Tesco? Yes. Uh, and, and one of their issues. Can you just talk T- a little bit yes, about that? Yes, T- Tesco had played, it was in the middle of the, the horse meat scandal when mm. it had been discovered that there was so, so, some horse in, in their meat. And they had scheduled some material on social media and clearly... Due to the crisis taking kicking off, they hadn't realised what was on social media. So it wasn't until people spotted it and started saying, you know, hey, Tesco, look, look at this, that they realised, oh, no. Now, in terms of brand damage, absolutely tiny. Mm. But if you're in the middle of a crisis, you don't need any more hassles like that or giving people more opportunities to have a pop at you. So, again, it's, it's something worth remembering that if you do have a, a media issue or a crisis kick-off, is that see what else has been scheduled to happen or to go out because if you're in the middle of a crisis and some of your senior team are seen to be enjoying themselves at an event, it doesn't look good. You know, it, it, there may be a reason for it, but it's never a good image to send out there. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of, a lot of sense. Craig, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you if they want to hear more? Or? You can find me on Twitter, at Craig McGill, and on LinkedIn, just type my name in, Craig McGill, and I'm, I'm easy to find. Perfect. Cheers, Craig. Thank you. Okay. So here we are, James. We're, con- we're joined now by Ishbel Smith, who's the founder of Heart and Mouth. We've just sat through her session. Ishbel, thank you for giving up your time. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about what session you just gave here at IOF? Thanks very much, Kenneth. I have given these guys a session about how to turn into heroes in an hour. And the superpower that hopefully I helped them find is in how you do your presentation skills, how you stand up and speak in front of an audience about a cause that matters, because that's the sort of work that we do. And it's just, it was great to share some of the tips and tricks with the, the audience there. Yeah, it was interesting when you said, so you had 20 years as a corporate lawyer and then you've only recently moved into this field? Yeah, I've got a horribly complicated story, but sure you've not got time. But yes, I was a commercial litigator for 20 years, name a bad guy and I probably acted for them and I'm talking banks, tobacco companies oil companies, everything you know, it's even the Supreme Court loads of times which was um, very helpful and enjoyable but for a variety of reasons moved into the third sector, I've been involved in that for about 5-6 years, trustee of a number of charities but as you can probably tell but always loved the sound of my own voice <laughs> and always liked to see how individuals can be empowered to understand that we all have that superpower Mm. and it's been a real gift to work with folk who appear less confident than they should be 
mm. in their message and in their story and working with a huge range of different charities to enable people to stand up, be that a 13-year-old kid who's perhaps been ostracised from school to the CEO of a large charity who secretly is quite nervous mm. about their message and their confidence in being able to deliver it. But most of the work that we do is with teams and to help yeah. them talk together about these things that matter. It's great right. fun. Mm. You talked a bit about things you can control and things that you can't and how you get over those. Yeah, I, th I think people think that the minute they stand up behind a microphone that it's all in the power of the gods. And to be able to equip people with that understanding that there are tips and techniques that they can practice and they, they can, can keep under control will allow them to get that confidence. These things don't happen overnight. You don't wake up one day understanding how to do this. It does take practice, but it takes that sight of knowledge uh, to understand how these things can equip you and allow you to be the best person you can be. So yeah, voice, word, words and body, they're in your control, even though I think a lot of us when we stand up in front of a microphone suddenly feel that your voice and your body have been completely out of there. But yeah, you can reel them back and you can make them really effective for you. And I was really, as you were talking there, I thought like this kind of teaching would be important for anybody in a a client, a customer-facing type role within a charity, because even on the phone, it's not just about standing up and giving presentations, it's also on the phone, it's also meeting those people, interacting with them, but having impact. Do you exclusively work with charities now, sorry, did you say, or do you work with the private sector as so well? I do very little work within the private sector mm. because I do, I did too much of that for 20 years. Right, had enough. <laughs> <laughs> had enough, but I do do some consultancy work with them, but no, by far the majority is with third sector, be that charities, social enterprises, mm. or within the faith sector as mm. well. And it's, the, it's that extra magic that comes yes. with people that care about it, albeit to make a profit in order to do good. I know that's what your podcast is about, but to be able to do that in pitching, doing it when you're standing next to someone in the queue in Asda and telling them about your charity. There's a huge amount of focus on digital communication, which is really important. You mm. know, I, I get that. I love it and engage in it all. But talking is what we've been doing for a millennia and it's ultimately where I think you get the most bang for your buck Brilliant, well look, thank you so much for your time we'll let you get on, are you staying around for the next couple of days? Or yes, you, I'll yeah? be here, yes, anything that's involving lots of talking, of course I'm going to be involved cool. in Your, it, your yeah. feedback forms must be brutal <laughs> 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 yeah. Well thank you very much as well, we appreciate your time So we've managed to grab Joe from the Stroke Association and Seb from Bowel Cancer UK who have just delivered a great presentation on KPIs. Could you give us just the, the top line, what's the difference between monitoring outcomes and behaviours? Shall I go first, Seb? So basically we felt that looking at behaviour rather than outcomes would help our teams be more accountable to what they're doing to have more clarity over what is expected of them as fundraisers in order to successfully deliver their jobs and essentially we would be able to measure the actual impact of what they're doing day to day better than if we're just basing it on outcomes. What I said in the session as well is that I've always said that fundraising is as much luck as anything else so we don't want to just leave performance to lap drops mm. uh, and luck throughout the year. We want to know that our teams are doing the best they can, uh, doing the right things, are supported to do the right things, and that we're doing everything we can to support them. And so that's, for me, 
why I would prefer to measure behaviour and activities rather than just the outcomes. That's really interesting. How did, how did that go down when you implemented it in your team? One of the things that Seb and I mentioned in our session is really explaining the why. Why are we doing this? Mm. And one of the things that I've actually written in bold at the top and the bottom of my KPI guidance document for my teams is that these objectives and KPIs are the job. They're not additional to the job. They are the job. We believe that if you do them and you do them well, then reward will follow Uh, and if you do them and do them well and reward doesn't follow we still know that you've done a great job and tried your best Mm. so if the teams can understand that then they see the value Mm. Um, you've done some more to explain the why we were just going to add when we were both there muscular just for uk we were fortunate to have a team that were behind it and and wanted that change as well Mm. i mean they wanted to be the very best they could be for our Mm. supporters so they did make our, our lives a little bit easier when it came to implementing it. Yeah. But actually, they were a key part of, of the implementation. Mm. You talked a little bit about how they they came up with the KPIs themselves. You got buy-in from them by getting them to suggest what actions would lead to positive outcomes. And once they'd agreed to that? Yeah, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a trick. There wasn't any magic going on. We, we simply asked them two, two, key, two key questions. So what skills do you think a community fundraiser should have? And then what key actions do you think they need to take to deliver your income targets or objectives, whatever they may be? So the things they were coming up with, um, you know, like phone calls, we have to build deep relationships with supporters, mm. those kind of things, you know, making sure it's face to face. They came up with us th- those key things that we wanted then to have as a KPI and a metric that we would measure against. And so we had their buy-in from the very beginning, um, which actually worked really, really well. How does that go? And so we kind of you talked a bit about kind of down the chain, but what about back up the chain for, I mean, C-level, execs, etc.? How did they accept this kind of new way of working? Well, if the money comes, then they're happy. Follows, yeah. <laughs> Their KPI is one, right? For me, so we've done it at MD UK, and where I currently work at Bowel Cancer UK. Mm. I, I, th- I think they're impressed the fact that we've spent the time and the effort and the team have also spent the time and the effort to put these in place because we're, we're trying to do everything we can to deliver for our supporters yes. to, to achieve our charity's goals and missions so the fact that that accountability is coming from you know from managers heads of the team i think i think is really important so i've actually had recent conversations about trustees wanting those things in place well actually it's, it's, already, it's already happening that's great to hear and then at quite a granular level, how do you change the? Ob- how do you actually put these in place? How do you change the objectives? So what I personally did at Stroke Association was one of my teams, when she heard whispers that we wanted to tweak them to make them more behavioural based, uh, one of my proactive managers actually put a hand up and said, I'd love to trial these within the region. So that's what we did, which gave us a really good head start. And I said in the session, it sort of meant that I can sort of look into the future because mm. they're three months ahead of where the rest of the teams are, which is really nice, really useful. And that's actually been super helpful because we've been able to tweak things we were able to test the way we got their buy-in did we explain it clearly enough have we got enough of the supporting tools the guidance and then go from there when we rolled out across the and so you're talking about changing objectives more than once a year yes shocking it's this sorcery the audacity of it (laughs) well fundraising is an ever-changing world you know things can happen month to month week to week but yet uh, i asked for a show of hands uh, in the audience in the session and most people either change their objectives and kpis once a year or maximum once every six months and yet the fundraising environment changes so much more rapidly than that why aren't we reviewing our kpis to keep them current keep us focused on the right thing that's going to deliver the right results for mm. us and for our supporters and just to add to that as well i think if you've got let's say a community fundraising product as well and that 
finishes, well, part of the learning and the wash up is to how you can improve it. Mm. So if you're then waiting, I don't know, three months, six months, when you launch it to then bring those changes in, then it's far too late. So again, it's being that flexible and adaptive, changing it because you can start making quick improvements and, and get mm. those quick wins as well. So where did the where did the idea come from then? Is this something that's being applied in in other places? I mean, when James came across and told me about the session, he said we've got to get these guys on to talk about it. It sounds quite new age, like it's, it's something brand new. But no offence, but did you guys? Uh, where, where did you steal the idea, basically? Did we steal the idea? Oh, maybe we didn't. Maybe we didn't. <laughs> I don't think we did. No, it was just I something that you guys kind of worked worked together on, and it. We were very fortunate together. when we were at Muscular Dish for UK to uh, be led by Gary Kernahan, who's mm-hmm. involved in the conference here. That yes. guy. And he was, yeah. I ha- it pains me to say it, but he was How fantastic. How much did he pay leader. you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I got a free place at the uh, at the awards. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he was a fantastic leader and and helped with the culture. You know, building the right culture where we wanted to be the best. Yes. And it sort of came from that, really. You know, if you want to be the best, you're going think about how how do you do it Amazing. yeah and we, and we reviewed everything yeah and, and kpis happened to be a part of it and something which actually you can lift up and might not be the same model but go and take elsewhere when you move on to other charities and implement there but yeah he was he was a, a pioneer i mean congratulations because it does it does sound fantastic i guess the other question that comes out the back of uh, that discussion is how did you find time to do this alongside delivering those targets because i'm sure it was kind of a period of like wow, if we're going to change the system here or we're going to change the goalposts slightly or adjust them, but we've still got to continue on the, on, the, on the fundraising target that we've probably been used to. Can you talk us through that process? Because I'm thinking, like, yeah. if someone's thinking about this, think, that sounds great for my team. I'd love to implement that. But then they're going to think, oh, but all that stuff that we've been doing for so long. And how do I... Can you talk about how you kind of went through that process? I think that's actually a great question. So someone after the session came up and said, I'd love to do all this. Mm. I physically don't have the time. Yes. I'm from a small charity... You know, I've got multiple hats on, um, and not just fundraising related. So, so how do you do it? We were lucky at uh, Musculars for UK where all the senior managers had that buy-in. So it wasn't just one person trying to lead on it and then try and influence uh, other stakeholders. You know, myself, Joe, and the other senior managers um, and the head of the team all were bought into the idea. So it meant that one person didn't have to carry that burden because it is quite a lot. And especially as part of the session, we're talking about team buying as well and team involvement. So that does help as well. So I think it's just understanding it's not just one person and not just one big task that one person leads on. Mm. If you've got that buy-in, that collaboration, and just just, just utilising everyone's, everyone's skill set and getting everyone involved. Yeah, and I think this is another reason why if you are that lone, lone person, the fundraising community is really important. Mm. Seb and I have done it. We've done it at MDUK. We're doing it again where we are now. We have learnings that even if you don't have the evidence yourself to prove to your superiors that this is what you should be spending your time on, we can help you with that evidence. Everyone should talk. That share. sounds like, that sounds like I was going to say, that sounds like a perfect uh, moment to wrap it up on. But before we do go, what's your contact address? Because when everybody wants to tell you ask you how to do it how can people find you best way for me probably is twitter, twitter. which is um at joe mcg1985 or my email which is joanna.mcginnis at stroke.org.uk nice and my contact details are exactly the same <laughs> 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 all, all queries to joe uh no, twitter is uh sebi underscore j DM me and my email is sebastian.jenkins at bowelcancerukorguk and honestly happy to help and that's a genuine genuine thing. brilliant Thanks. great stuff enjoy yeah. the next session thank, thank you. you very much so 
So I've managed to catch five minutes with Sarah Campbell, who presented this morning. But she started out her career as a charity shop manager and is now fundraising manager for Scottish families. She let slip that she used to have a bit of a radio career in her past. So we're going to be asking you for some tips later. (laughs) Can you tell us about that first? Yeah, so back in the day, myself and my best friend, we had a Monday night rock show on Sunny Govan FM, which for any Glaswegians, they might be aware of that as kind of a local community radio station and... Honestly, it's the most fun you could have had on a Monday night. It was <laughs> it was good times. We were up here on Monday night, and actually Glasgow is quite fun on a Monday night. <laughs> so the most fun you can have in Glasgow, that's pretty. That's quite an accolade. <laughs> good for you. So your session this morning, what was it about? Yeah, so the session was called Small But Mighty, and it was all about my story of uh, my time at Scottish Families and how we developed a really robust fundraising strategy, and we used that to really revolutionise how much income we were bringing. And we went from being in quite a a poor place in terms of income generation to a really healthy place and able to grow the organisation. Okay, sounds good. And what was the what was the kind of background to this? Why did you need to, to do that? So before we did the fundraising strategy, I'd been with the charity for about a year and the charity at that time we weren't seeking any funding out with statutory funding. The feeling in the organisation was that we really relied on government income and we didn't want to... It was a fear about rocking the boat. If we started looking for income from other sources, then maybe that would affect the money we were getting from the government. So it was very much a kind of keep your head down, yeah. keep going the way we were going. And it was the charity was in a really perilous position because year to year we were kind of waiting on this income coming in and there was no opportunity to grow or to plan. So I was in a bit of a stuck position as a fundraiser. There wasn't that many opportunities for me to, to do my job, really. So a new chief executive came on board. Uh, and that was a fantastic opportunity just to kind of like clear the slate and start afresh. And through we did a bit of research into the best way to develop fundraising and we ended up uh, working with Think. I kind of had known Gary by reputation over the years. So Quite I a reputation. Yeah. Well, yeah, one yeah. way or another. Um, and I thought it would be a really uh, a great opportunity. I'd never worked with a third party agency, but we thought we're just going to throw open the books. We're going to be totally honest. We're going to be really open minded and we're going to see how we can fix this fundraising situation. So over the period of three months, we worked with Think. Uh, we managed to get the kind of naysayers on the staff team on mm. board. We spent some time really thinking about the best uses for how to spend my time, um, how to maybe start thinking about our organisation in a different way. So we work with families affected by alcohol and drug use, um, their loved ones. And the feeling had been like, oh, that's quite a controversial subject. Maybe people won't want to hear about that. Maybe the families you work with won't want to take part in an event. They won't want to be seen wearing a T-shirt. That's going to, there's quite a lot of stigma involved with drug and alcohol use. People are going to feel embarrassed to be seen to be fundraising for this charity. So we started to challenge some of those preconceptions. And we had a really incredible year. So it's a three-year strategy. We're about halfway through it just now. And in our first financial year, we set quite a robust target. It was about 118,000. And that was three times as much as we'd ever raised previously. Wow, that is, that's bold. That's bold. And we actually managed to raise 182,000 in oh, the first wasn't year. Wasn't so strategy. bold. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a really, really successful year. The most successful year I've had in my career as a fundraiser. And I believe that the thing that made the change was getting the whole organisation on board with the strategy. I think uh, as fundraisers, particularly those that work for small charities or if you are a sole fundraiser, Everybody knows how to write a fundraising strategy, but often it's a document that gets shoved in your desk. Nobody else in the organisation reads it. Nobody really cares about it. Um, It's kind of a a glorified work plan, essentially, whereas what you need is you need to bring everybody on board with you. And that was what made the big change for us. Yeah, and it sounds like you really tore the plaster off 
Yeah, and yeah. We were lucky because there was a new chief executive who was really supportive of fundraising, so it was really the, the perfect timing for us. But I do think that it's um, we're working through a strategy today. We had kind of six clear stages that any charity could go forward and, and do themselves in their own organisation yeah. if they wanted to shake things up a bit. Yeah, and you mentioned taking people with you. That yeah. was quite key to get everybody yeah. on board. And you had you say you had some naysayers as well, so turning those people around. Yeah. How did you go about that? I think the biggest key was to be patient about it and understand it wasn't going to happen overnight. And people had been used to thinking a certain mindset for a long time, and they'd never really met a proper fundraiser before who was going to like coming in big personality big happy smiley person into the office mm. what are we going to do today recognize your voice from the radio <laughs> that sort of thing <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but even even the people who i thought were never ever going to change their mind after talking about this for three months and doing the steady drip 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 and making sure that the fundraising targets it's not my thing to celebrate it's everybody's thing to celebrate every time a check comes in the door it's like everyone it's everyone's win it's not just my win and a one of the members of staff who was kind of most set in his ways turned around to me and said it's it's all about momentum Sarah isn't it and I was like yes (laughs) yes you get it (laughs) yeah a nice moment Yeah. yeah Yeah, there is something about that, about sharing objectives. And we've, we've been talking about that at work and it came up in one of the sessions around doesn't matter what team you're in. So, you know, the, di- the digital team is not there just to provide digital products. Actually, yeah. what we want them to do is, is provide engagement and uh, raise money for us and, you know, everything else. So pulling their objectives in line with everybody else's. Yeah, absolutely. And um, everybody that works for a charity is essentially a fundraiser. I mean, not every single member of staff is going to go out and run a marathon, but they are connected to your clients and your service users and the people who care most about your work so Mm. making sure they've got some fundraising leaflets in their backpack and they know if someone says can I give a donation they know how to explain how to do that I mean that's pretty basic stuff stuff we were missing and it's made such a big difference making sure that all the staff understand those things yeah okay so that's staff on board and then you talked about maybe there was some perceived stigma around people wearing t-shirts and that sort of thing yeah Um, yeah and it's it's alcohol and drug misuse it's such a huge issue and you can't it's not a one-size-fits-all for for any family member because everyone goes through such such personal and difficult things but my experience in all the charities i've worked for is that fundraising can be a fantastic tool to help you feel better about a situation when you feel at your most powerless or your most helpless it's like mm. fundraising is something that can that can give something to you yeah it's like you can slap on a pair of trainers and you can go out and you can raise some money not everyone has the confidence to do that but we find some people love taking part in fundraising events some people love volunteering and they don't need to walk about with a t-shirt that says i'm a family member but they're there just kind of helping an event take part and it's a chance for them to do something social get out in their community and, and get something back without having that spotlight on them as a I'm doing a quotation marks family member. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like it's gone really well. What's next on the agenda? How do you follow that? Well, I, w- I followed that by going on maternity leave, which ah, is you did. women typical hearts. <laughs> so I have been off work for 10 months. So it's going to be really interesting to see what's happening going back. Have you seen similar results with uh, the maternity there? Uh, there was a maternity cover in place and there was a adjusted target set in and that target was met um, oh good so it's going good. to have got how many months have i got left end of the year five months or something yeah. get my skates on we should be all right <laughs> good stuff well thank you for sharing that with us and enjoy the rest of the conference thank you
So we've reached the end of our Scottish conference journey and I've got a little panel here of people to wrap up uh, the event for us. So we've got Gary, a consultant for Think, one of the key sponsors of the event. Uh, Gary, historically you've been very involved in the in the conference in the past, though you've taken a bit of a back seat this year. Yes, so I was the chair of the conference for three years and I'm still a member of the organising committee uh, dealing with our sponsors, but it's been nice to sort of be in more of a backseat and enjoy the event this yep. year than not have to worry about if everything's running on time and that that kind of freed you <laughs> up to be a bit of an instigator in the in the rush to the bar late <laughs> last night <laughs> i don't so think it ever stopped me it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always the first one in the bar yeah and uh, well that leads us on nicely to to uh gemma who was last seen buying Jaeger bombs at three o'clock this oh morning. So yeah, apparently uh, I was the instigator for all of that and everyone's headaches this morning. Yeah, <laughs> don't think you any apparently it. about it. <laughs> I'm using the word allegedly more, but I did find a photo on my phone of the tray of shots this morning. Yes. <laughs> so definitely happened. That definitely happened. Yep. Um, but when you're not encouraging bad behaviour, yep. uh, you are the senior fundraising manager for the MS Society Scotland, chair of the IOF Community Special Interest Group, and you're a key member of the conference committee who organised this. I am, yeah. yeah. So I currently sit on the conference committee, but this sits my last year. So I've officially stepped down as of 5pm today. Oh, I the think. end of an era. But yeah, you went out with, with glory because you won the escape rooms I did. Well, challenge. yes, I believe I did win the escape rooms. My team managed to escape in 27 minutes. So take well, the prize the Edinburgh for Edinburgh Cats team. and Dogs <laughs> Home team are tackling it just now. So oh. could still snatch the crown. So I'm going to be really embarrassed now if I've we not won and I've yeah. just picked up the best team. <laughs> <laughs> if we could possibly get an update on that live, yeah. that would be good. <laughs> and we're also joined by Sarah Campbell, who um, spoke this morning. She is a fundraising manager for Scottish Families. And as I discovered on the lift on the way up to this room, it is your first week back from maternity. Yes, and I would definitely recommend throwing yourself in and going to a conference on your first week back from maternity leave because it's the best way to forget about what's happening at home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. Very good. So, um, let's how's it been for you guys in general? We had, what, 500 people per day. It's a massive sellout event. Uh, sounds like it went really well. I've absolutely loved it. I think the event has flown past, yeah. absolutely flown past. The thing I've loved most about it is just the atmosphere and the buzz yeah. about mm. the place. It's just... In the whole hotel as well, I think it's not just in the exhibitor rooms, it's everywhere in the lifts coming up to the eighth floor, the eighth floor being full all day. Mm. It's, uh, it's everywhere. You go grab a coffee and it's just fundraisers chatting. Yep. It's been brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's been really friendly as well. You've even, you know, a couple of Londoners up from down south and you've, <laughs> you've embraced us so thank you very much for that. <laughs> you seem very surprised yeah. James there's something about I've been lucky enough I've presented at the uh, convention in London before and I think there's a real difference between uh, experience of a speaker at that conference compared to this one I just feel that the audience just want the speakers to do well, mm. whereas some of the other ones I've been to have been a bit more like sort of impress me <laughs> type of approach. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think the audiences are much more willing to voice their own experience as well yeah. and kind of get stuck mm. in with questions and comments, which I think is really nice because it's not really so much about someone standing up and saying, I'm the expert. It's about getting a conversation going and kind of sharing everybody's experience. Yeah, that definitely happened in, in one of the sessions. The the person delivering it, Bruce, said, actually, I've noticed there are some chief execs in the room. How about we bring them in and get, get them to share their experience rather than everyone look at me? I mean, actually, it's quite nice content, isn't it, if you could share it out to the, to the audience <laughs> and take the pressure yeah. off yourself. That's Absolutely. been good. There's been quite a few sessions that we, Sarah and I, presented this morning, and one of the things we said at the start of it was actually, we're here to tell your story, and we hope you find it useful. We yeah. weren't claiming at that point to be given expert opinion. This is just what we did, and 
thankfully it worked really well in the case of Scottish families and we were hoping that people would find value in that. Yeah, well, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> uh, just in the corner over there, they're crunching the numbers. So you'll get, you'll <laughs> get your, your feedback, feedback at be. some point. <laughs> yeah. So talking sessions then, have you got any favourites? Any that you really enjoyed? Oh, one thing I really enjoyed this year was the highlighting of the sole fundraiser role in fundraising in Scotland. Uh, I'm a sole fundraiser myself, and for the first time this year, you could click that as an option when you're registering to come along to the conference. Mm. So that's nice to get that recognition. And there was a couple of sessions that really focused on sole fundraising and small charity fundraising. So that uh, was a highlight for me. Yeah. And were they busy? Lots yeah. Of people turning up? Yeah, yeah. Very busy. A lot of sole fundraisers in Scotland. I think 95% of Scottish charities are small charities. So mm-hmm. it's a big area. And if you work for a small charity, coming along to an event like this is probably the only chance in your whole year for any kind of personal mm. development. Yeah. So yeah. it's so important to find those people to make connections with. Yeah, I mean, we made fun of the, the, the drinks last night, but that is a perfect time to network and make yeah. friends. And yeah. the number of LinkedIn connections that have come <laughs> through this morning attached to, f- to photos of Louis Theroux, admittedly. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> the resemblance is uncanny. Yeah, <laughs> so that's been, that's been both well. nice and, and um, horrible. Yeah, there were a couple of sessions that I was really pleased that were on the programme. The feedback we got on the mentoring session, which uh, Jenna, you know the programme really well, the Tony Elisha Foundation, where people were really open about their weaknesses. People talked about imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and their vulnerabilities and some of the struggles they had, and that seemed to really resonate with folk and actually I think that's been a bit of the theme of the conference and a lot of the sessions where people just being really honest mm. and uh, p- there have been sessions where people highlighted things that have gone really well but people haven't been afraid to fill up the things that didn't go well and there was mm. a session just uh, not long completed with the National Trust for Scotland where they did that they pulled out some of those real challenges that they had along the way so I've, those things in the programme I was really yeah, I would say for me, I've been at a few conferences this year and this feels like the first one where I've really seen that and it's really resonated that it makes what you're saying, Sarah, about it be more of a conversation with people. Yeah. But actually, it doesn't always go well and it re- in fact, it rarely goes well um, first time round. So people being able to say, this was a bit shit, but actually this is what we've done to overcome it and there's like a really practical learning for people to take away. So I've been in quite a few sessions over the last couple of days and everyone's just been like, this isn't great, but I'm going to be really upfront and show you. Mm. I was in a session yesterday with Joe McGuinness and Seb Jenkins, and they were talking about um, objectives and taking away from financial metrics and looking at personal development, which is a big area I'm looking at in my team. And they were they really openly just showed people's objectives on the screen yeah. that they had permission to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wasn't like someone's performance reviews during the session. Um, but they just showed that on the screen and showed how they were really, really poor. It didn't measure anything, so how could you hold people to account? And then they showed really small changes to do that, and they're still in testing, but it's, it's looking really promising. So. I was I was tucked in at the back of that session as well, yeah, yeah just kind of generally to throw things at Seb. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it, I thought it was a really good session. Yeah, yeah. it was really good. Yeah. It was really insightful, and I think it was just again that transparency of, and it was a, we both work for really big organisations that we don't always get it right, even if we've got a massive HR department who mm. you yeah. think should be really slick at this stuff now. So that was really insightful. We spoke about that earlier on today because there's this perception that everybody else has got this stuff cracked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not the case. Everybody's no. struggling with some things along the way. There were some really good practical sessions, I thought, that I really recall seeing things like this on conference programmes before, things like there was a session on homeworking, yeah. uh, which mm-hmm. is running just now, actually. Yep. There's um, also a session on making an impact on your first six months in role, which mm-hmm. the team from the Stroke Association did. Mm-hmm. Three people that are fairly new into their organisations and recognising you, you've got 
an opportunity to be an agent for change at yeah. that time. So use that agency whilst you have it as well. And there was one of the things that I love, I don't know if you, you find about this, Gemma, but when you're in the conference programme, sometimes we get the opportunity to see things in other areas, having yeah. wider roles. So we were both at a conference in Belfast, and we've yeah. seen an amazing session done by Jonathan Andrews on a pic called Pitching Your Socks Off. He actually picked people in the audience and oh, got them brilliant. to come up, and they live on stage and worked through their corporate partnership. A 20-minute wow. crash pitch oh, for them wow. to do and just aligned everything about how it would match their values and what they could do. And it was so fast-paced. He was really moving yeah, around and it was, was we just sat there being like, we need this in Scotland. Yeah. It's so good. And that was this afternoon. It's bold, isn't it? Yeah. Bold oh, to step it was up. fab, yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, it took a bit of encouragement when we were over in Ireland to get people to get up. But as soon as they did, they were like, this is amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't you have thought they were you create a culture where that's acceptable, yeah. then that's fine. Yeah, so. yeah. And then... Michelle and Francis did a great one on, and I think they're on the circuit at the moment. They've been doing a few conferences <laughs> with this one. Yeah. But the 2029 trends was yes. really interesting. Yes, I sat on in that session. Yeah, <laughs> yeah eye-opening. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is just a small charities thing or if this is an all-charities thing, but we're still having discussions about whether we can have contactless donation pots and whether we're willing to make that investment. So when you yeah. think about some of the changes that you're talking about, 10 years down the line it's exciting but also a bit terrifying yeah yeah it's definitely a mix when um, I was watching it I was like oh that's oh no that's not good oh that's, <laughs> that, that's amazing no I don't want that <laughs> do you think we feel quite far away from there just now yeah in the sector yeah but that's what's so great about sessions like that like so you have an organization like Cancer Research UK that have a whole department that focuses on strategy and obviously part of Think's business is about looking what's what's coming ahead and being aware of the environment so to have all that work and all that research summarized in a one-hour session and you can pick up those insights for those organizations that don't have the capacity yeah. to do that thing because it's yeah. so broiled and delivering for the beneficiaries yeah I think it's really helpful and for folk to have you know francis milner running runs one of the biggest fundraising yeah. operations in europe and to have access there we can ask her all sorts of mm -hmm. questions and yeah. things i think that is just priceless to have that's yeah. amazing yeah, yeah. Have. running a big team talking of which what are you going to take back to your teams uh, next week mm. oh so one for me is, is the session i mentioned around the objective so this year we've, we have been trialing looking at not just financial metrics and looking at sort of a team plan team objectives but i think we've definitely overstretched and the session yesterday definitely highlights me that we need to be a little bit more concise there was the opening plenary yesterday delivered by gerald richards on the superpower agency and i got a shot of the cape as did i uh, <laughs> yes we got to be fundraising superheroes yeah that that what that's what i'm calling it <laughs> and gerald i thought was thought was really inspirational I uh, had great storyteller great stories to tell yeah. his charity does amazing work but he talked about the essential for me what was the accessibility of volunteering mm -hmm. and he talked about people having well if you've got an hour to give I'll take the hour yeah. and when you think about volunteering I think it's still quite boxed up you know you have to come in you know most volunteering roles are you have to come into the office mm -hmm. and you have yeah. to be able to do certain things in those hours I've not really seen volunteering opportunities properly rolled out which speak to people's skills and people can pick up and do yeah. Yeah. in a remote fashion other than manage some collection boxes in your local community which whilst is amazing and helpful it's not making most of people's skills so I thought that was 
was really interesting. And in the case of Gerald's example, he's seen when you can bring people in and they may be signing up to give you an hour, but when they get the connection to the cause and they get the bug, yeah. they then, you know, it goes on to open up so much more support. So that's something I would really urge people to look at. Yeah, I'd say that was a trend that had come through in a few of the sessions is being a bit more supporter or volunteer-centric, yeah. and that seems to be going across yeah. the sector at the moment. I think you've talked a little bit about trends, but was there anything else that you hadn't mentioned around that you've noticed? I felt like people were being quite supportive at the moment. We're kind of building each yeah. other's confidence back up a little bit. It's a tough time in yeah. fundraising, isn't it always? But it's a tough time at the moment, perhaps. Yeah, I think that that definitely was the trend and we have sort of touched on it. It's just that transparency, but it was a very... I haven't been in the sessions for quite a while where there's been as many questions at the end. I've not sat mm. in one the last mm. couple of days where people haven't had anything to ask. There's that constant, we want to keep learning from each other. And then you can see the conversation spilling out into like the exhibitor space and the tea and coffee breaks. We had a couple of sessions on crowdfunding, which isn't a new thing, yeah. but so few charities seem to do it. And yeah, that's a good point. That, that I was interested in that, and strikes, that really strikes me as an opportunity, particularly when you think about the donors that you currently have mm. on their databases. We could find out what people are interested in, and if you can tell them stories about work that's happening in their areas, I'm sure folk would be really inspired to donate in that way. And just to build on Gemma's latter point there, Career development, there was a couple of sessions around about that. Uh, you mentioned Bruce er- earlier on Bruce Tate. Why did more fundraisers not become CEO session? So there was more uh, focus on personal development. I think we had a few sessions around about yeah. that. And that's something I felt really, I feel really strongly about because mm-hmm. I think too many fundraisers deprioritize themselves, mm-hmm. prioritize the day-to-day mundane work. You don't drive your own learning and development. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Yeah. And we're seeing that in the moment yeah. in the sector that actually is a little bit of a leadership gulf. People saying there's mm-hmm. roles that are feeling really hard to fill. Yeah. And that fits in with the objectives as well. So build it into people's objectives and yeah. they're not so focused on raising money. The money will come from yeah. the actions and, and yeah. investing in yourself. And I think, um, yeah. so obviously I'm the chair of the community seg and we find that some people really struggle to take time out of the office to do the personal development stuff. Mm. So actually seeing it alongside all the other tracks, equal importance that actually you have got investment from your organisation to come to the conference, that that should be a big priority for you and yeah. that they can do that as part of their learning. Yeah. I think that's been really great. I've heard a lot of good feedback from the sessions that people have went to. Definitely, and I, I've not been involved in organising the conference. I just want to say that it's so nice to see such a variety of speakers this year because there's not a huge pool of potential speakers in Scotland, so you can really see that you've done the work and going to sort of research different topics and different people to come forward. So that's been fantastic. Fab, thanks. Lovely stuff. So, favourite moments. We all witnessed Kenneth on the dance floor last night. I think that's, <laughs> that's got to go down. He was using both of his dance moves, um, sometimes simultaneously. Uh, that, that's up there. Anything else that you really enjoyed? You mentioned Gerald, the opening plenary speaker. That was that definitely was a that highlight was for so me. inspiring. One of the best opening speakers I think I've seen for a conference. Yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Uh, I really love the fundraising escape room. I thought it was really different, and I like that there was, again, some time carved out my whole team we all went down together and it was nice we could spend an hour doing a bit of team building as part of this conference as well and it helps that we're all super competitive so we were like of course we're going to get out really quickly but uh, it was great as a team they've all not stopped talking about it everyone's texting about it today so and it's a bit different different yeah. way to approach a little bit different yeah. there's been more interactiveness this year I think so I think that's been really yeah. good well done Simon very yeah. good yeah. it's hard to pick a, a highlight so I've got lots of little ones but one definite highlight is that it was the awards yeah. ceremony last night you know, nearly 400 people in the room absolutely packed is it seven awards we gave out Gemma? Yep, seven awards and some amazing winners we had 
some fantastic partnerships. We had a volunteer fundraising group that had been servicing their charity for a hundred years. Not the same members (laughs) 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 for that time. And we had a couple of fundraiser of the year award was presented last night to to Megan Johnson, and uh, Susan Robinson was the winner of the fundraising excellence award, who is literally a lifetime yeah. contribution to the sector, and that was uh, richly deserved. So that was wonderful, where people were able to celebrate and recognise so many wonderful people, and then we, uh, there was just such a great atmosphere on the night, followed by. Kenneth's dancing. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, last year was last year was good. Obviously, we made it. We made long-term listeners will remember we made quite a fuss of the the bagpipes last yeah. year, yeah. and the pressure was on, guys. Uh, the, the pressure, pressure was, was on to dam- <laughs> and you and you pulled it out of the bag. The mariachi band were incredible. They were yeah. great. Yeah. I think everyone was like, folks seem to love the mini maracas as well. Yeah, yeah. there was. Uh, we were trying to keep that a secret, so folk would be surprised when they were speared. But it's really difficult when you have. Four guys in sombreros walking through the hotel yeah. lobby. <laughs> no, yeah. Everyone's like, "What is this?" I was like, "Oh, I don't know." They're like, "You should know." And I'm like, "Well, I obviously know what they're here for. <laughs> You'll find out soon." <laughs> that wasn't very subtle. Yeah. <laughs> no, but they were great. They were. <laughs> guys, thank you very much for having us. It's been an absolute pleasure to come up again and enjoy your journeys home. Uh, hope you make it home in time for bedtime. <laughs> thank you. And Gemma, enjoy your trip. Thank you. Yes, I will do. Nice Hopefully, see you next you. October. Nice one. Thank you, gang. Cheers, thank, thank you, thank you James. Thank you. So Kirsty, all I would need you to do is pick one of these cards. Okay. And then when you pick the card, read out the question. Yep. Tell us your name and uh, what your role is and what charity you're from. Okay. okay. Going for that one. Okay. Right. If you could give your 20-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Okay. So, I'm Kirsty. I'm from Breast Cancer Now. I'm the Community Fundraising Manager. And if I could give myself a piece of advice for when I was 20, I would say, smile, it confuses people. Nice. I like that. <laughs> smile, it confuses people. Perfect. Thank you. Right. If you'd like to pick a question, please to choose from. Um, so my name's Akanksha, and I am. I work with Deloitte as the relationship partner with Children First. Okay. And my question is, if you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? I am going to say they're going to assume I stole a lot of money from Deloitte and gave it to Children First. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Hey, my name is Shar Nicholson. I am head of fundraising at Foursquare, a homeless charity in Edinburgh. My question is, in one sentence, how would you sum up this conference? The IOF Scotland Conference is like a big family get-together that celebrates all things fundraising, gives you some tips, but also freaks you out a little bit, and there's also the weird aunties that you don't want to kiss. Yay! Love that one. Well done. So, I'm Darren Pike. I'm the fundraising manager for a charity called Circle. Okay, what does Circle do? A Circle gives healthy outcomes for children who live in areas of persistent poverty. Brilliant. Okay. Darren, let's read and hear your response. Okay, so my question that I have drawn is, what was your favourite session of the conference so far and why? Uh, 
And obviously I could say my favorite session was my own session <laughs> that I delivered today. And it was around a, a, a real success. But um, no, my favorite session today was delivered by uh, Nikki Bell and Simon Scriber. Uh, they were talking about introverted fundraisers. And I think what the most interesting part of that is that we misuse the word introverted too often. And we treat the word introverted as a negative mm. aspect, as in, because you're introverted, you shouldn't be a fundraiser. Because you're introverted, you can't be a fundraiser. When actually, introverted people are some of those gifted fundraisers because you have the interpersonal skills to sort of connect directly one-on-one yeah, yeah. -on -one with other individuals. So, no, it was really interesting. Yeah, no, Brilliant. loved it. What a response. What Perfect. Nice Thank you. What's your name? I'm Claire McPherson. I'm a senior corporate partnerships fundraiser with Children First. Okay, let's hear your question. What is the first thing you're going to tell your team about when you get back to the office? The mariachi band. Hey! <laughs> I saw them sneaking in. I'm very excited. Hi, I'm Jude. I'm from the Scottish Charity Regulator and I'm going to talk to you about my best favourite moment in my career. And I would probably have to say... In a sad way, it was when I was involved in responding to hurricanes in Haiti. And uh, we had a magnificent response, and I was leading that response, and it was absolutely magnificent. So that's my favourite. Brilliant. Great Good one. Thank Very you. Uh, my name is Sharon. I'm from DMS Agency. How long have you worked at DMS Agency? Two days. Two days, okay. Two days. Oh, that's a new question. If you were arrested... With no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? Um, Is one of these your boss, by the way? Both. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't ask that in the interview, did you? Uh, it would be drink too much Prosecco. If you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? Or just the normal, everyday stuff. <laughs> okay, my name is Maureen Mallon. I'm the chief executive of the charity regulator. And my question is, if I could give my 20-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? And I'd say, go even wilder. My name's Faith, I'm from Perth Autism Support. If you could give your 20-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Don't panic. <laughs> I'm Sam Dixon from Think Consulting Solutions, and my question is, which one person would you credit with giving you a chance in your career so far? And I'm actually going to quote an ex-thinker, Fiona Duncan, who was my mentor many years ago and really helped to change my approach to things. So, thanks. So, my favourite session today was all about behaviour-led KPIs. Um, it was something that was really different and something that I don't think a lot of charities do. And it's really relevant to Children First. We're building new teams at the moment. I got so much out of it and I'm actually really excited to go back to the team and feed that back. Well done. Great one. Okay. Are we recording? Are we recording? Okay. Uh, okay. So pick a card. Okay. Go, tell us uh, your name and who you are. Uh, Regan Johnson. I'm a senior community fundraiser at Children First. Uh, the question is... What's the best moment or experience you've had in your career? 
I mean, fundraiser of the year 2019. That's quite high up. Come on, Sam. Let's see. Says, "Lose, you can." So James just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? <laughs> if anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth, at Do More Good Pod. Instagram, at Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi-channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website, domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 